Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right. Good day and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So this evening, I'm catching up with a gentleman I'm actually pretty excited to catch up with now because he's in the middle of moving. And uh, I made a joke before we started the show that one of the most stressful things we can do in life is move, change careers, change relationships, love, marriage, divorce, etc. And then uh, let's all do that during uh, 2020's year of COVID. So <laughs> the adventures are continuing for this gentleman. But let me give you the quick background on this guy. So he's an entrepreneur like myself and an expert in remote hiring. And I myself have used VAs and continue to use VA. So uh, we'll talk around that whole outsourcing, uh, virtual assistance, or in his keywords, remote hiring. Uh, but anyway, so recently he co-founded freeup.com. So F-R-Triple-E-U-P.com in 2015. Um, didn't even start up with much, guys. We're talking about like five grand. I mean, I started up businesses off of 500 bucks. So I'm intrigued to talk more about that, but scaled it to a $12 million per year revenue. So... If you're interested in entrepreneurship, if you're interested in small businesses going big, let's hang tight on tonight's podcast and let's rock and roll. But remember, for our newer listeners, we are here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. So we're going to balance those things as well. You know, you know me, I'm the health nut. So without further ado, Nathan Hurst, sir, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I apologize for being a little dark compared to you. I'm running a, a makeshift office. For the now, to be fair, days. I have two <laughs> ring lights going. So you can see the reflection on my new wall art back there. Like I'm really lit up. <laughs> so it's funny. I first started podcasting. I had these two bright lights that were in my eyes and I tried everything to, to find something better. Cause by the time I was done with every podcast, I was like, whoa, but I never well, found a, an alternative. To, to be fair, it. normally, and actually it's six o'clock. So I still give myself time seven o'clock and after I throw my blue light blocker glasses on. So then it's like I'm wearing sunglasses anyway. And actually my ring lights, I purposely do not use the white uh, lens covers. I use the amber, like orangish, reddish, and it actually really drops it down an octave. And I'm not even a lighting guru, so what do I know? <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have to hit you up after. I feel like you have the best podcasting tips. You were it's, giving me some other ones. Before. Oh man, like my client, just, <laughs> my client called me yesterday, and he, one of my clients, he's like, he's like, hey, he's like. Have you ever had a problem with the Zoom recorders? And I'm like, no, I've got a Zoom H5, I got a Zoom H6, I got all the toys. And he's like, oh, it just stopped working. And he's buddy with he's buddies with the famous Adam Carolla comedian and his podcast, which is like got the Guinness record. And so he just calls Adam's team and they just give him tips for free. I'm like, well, that must be nice. Uh, <laughs> but we made a joke because I was like, you know, you could just upgrade. And I was about to tell him, I, I upgraded my studio to the new Rode uh Rodecaster, which is like Basically, Rode, the manufacturer, decided to take their recording device and literally build it into a, a mixer board. So I got all the bells and whistles now. It's, a lot has changed in over four years of, of podcasting. So, uh, But you're moving. So let's cut to the chase. You, you're First of all, for the video watchers, you can tell that he's using a virtual background. For people listening in the podcast world, a reminder, we always stream this live on with the fuel, so you can go back and search for his video. Uh, but also, once this show does air, it also gets posted into into the YouTube library as well for Live the Fuel. So you better actually watch us and hang out too if you want to go visual. Uh, but anyway, you're moving. So the fact that you actually were smart enough to have a virtual background, awesome, right? Because you're covered. Doesn't matter where you could be in a hotel right now. And okay, worst case scenario, your lighting's a little off, but you're in the process of literally moving halfway across the country. Am I right about that? Is that about right? Halfway. Yeah, Florida to Colorado. So what 
I, I got to ask, we'll talk about the whole company thing in a bit, because I like the lifestyle piece. I've moved all over the country. I've gone coast to coast road trips over the years. I've lived in Arizona. I've lived in Colorado. And I go out to Colorado multiple times a year because I miss it so much. And my wife and I are huge skiers. So that being said, why the move? Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts. I spent 16 plus years there. I went to school in Connecticut. And then when I graduated college, we wanted to, we were running this Amazon business and we wanted to open up an office, but we were pretty cheap. We didn't want to spend a lot of money in an office. So we said, Hey, Florida, no state income tax office space Uh is pretty cheap. And we actually moved down to Florida with a bunch of buddies to scale this Amazon business. And we thought that we were going to take down Amazon, become the next Amazon. And we, we had a lot of success. We had a lot of fun. We, we learned a lot. Uh, we never did take down Amazon, but my business partner, Connor and I ended up starting this other business free up, which we'll, we'll talk about. And we were acquired at the end of last year. And my partner actually moved to Colorado a few years ago. So I've been making trips out there uh, for a few years. My fiance's come, we've had a blast and we kind of looked at it at a, at a, we're at a point in time where now she's remote, her corporate job moved it remote. So now we can kind of be anywhere and why not experience a new adventure? We're actually going to keep our our Florida house and rent it out. And it just seemed like a new adventure. And I mean, worst case we're remote, we can always move back or move somewhere else. Now, did she ever get the chance to work remote until these crazy 2020 changes or no? No. Oh, so this is her first opportunity experiencing what you and I know. <laughs> yeah, my, my dogs are very happy that COVID happened. They got to spend a lot more time with her instead of just me all day working from home. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so, I mean, can, what does she now do virtually, I guess? Uh, so I, I'm always intrigued to see how companies have embraced the shift, right? We found ways to make technology work. Granted, not everybody works for Twitter. Now, Twitter made the commitment to saying, moving forward, they will never have employees going to an office ever again, like for life. So I'm very intrigued by that big move. Um, But I mean, what does she get to do virtually? Can I ask? Yeah, she's an account manager at Express Scripts, which is a specialty pharmacy. And I've been telling her for years, I'm like, there's no reason that you should have to go to the office. Turns out she can do her job remote. She's crushing it. And yeah, there's no need to go to the office. (laughs) So quick background on me. Well, a long time ago, before entrepreneurship, before being a wild and firefighter out West and before the corporate life, my early get into the corporate life in my twenties, I was uh, working my way up in the call center world. So I'm very experienced in call centers, operations, you know, and I, I crack up because nowadays with the advanced technology, it's available voice over IP, everything else. Anybody could literally take their call center, disband it and have everybody work from home. It's not yeah. hard. Now, granted, you might not have the same, you know, call management structure and reporting systems. You might have to make some tweaks there, but you could have your people safely work from home. I will tell you, I mean, let me ask you this real quick. Well, it's going back to Massachusetts. You're a Northeastern guy like I am. I was born in Jersey, but I live in Pennsylvania now. So when was the first time you got to work virtually? First time. So it's funny the the whole office thing in Florida really made us like realize how much we liked working remote because we were remote before that. When I was in college, I've never had a real job after college, but before college, I, I worked at Aaron Sales and Lease. I was an intern at Firestone Corporation doing yeah, sales. Tire company. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't changing tires or anything, but no. I was an intern there. Um, and, and I had I was like a head umpire. I worked at a catering place. So those are all in person jobs. But I started a textbook business out of my college dorm room, kind of remote. You still need to touch the textbooks. But then I started a dropshipping business on Amazon. And for that, I could be anywhere. I never touched the products. I never really saw the products. I could respond to emails anywhere. I could money just gets deposited in your bank account. I mean, 
that was kind of the the first taste of working remote. And as that business grew and we were hiring people and we were hiring people remote, we actually thought it would be better to bring them all to one place and, and have them in an office. And we realized shortly after we did that, that not only did that lead to more drama and more work, but we also felt like we created nine to five jobs for ourselves that we had to drive into work every day. And yeah. we want to get out of that as quick as possible. So I guess then, did you ever actually experience the struggle of that transition, right? Because I think a lot of people don't understand like, oh, wow, great. Now, thanks to 2020, I'll be able to work from home. I actually have colleagues, uh, independent, fellow independent colleagues that miss meeting people already here in 2020. They miss that interaction. And it's proof. I've, I've had psychologists, psychiatrists, I've had mindset gurus, and we all have over the years have discussed the importance of human beings are meant to interact with other human beings, okay? Not just virtually over Zoom or whatever platform you use, but physically too. So this is a temporary transition. We'll get through it, but mental health and everything else. But the reason why I was asking these questions is because I know when I first tried my work remote, uh, I'd worked my way up in uh, T-Mobile, uh, was, was actually the last call center company I, I worked for. They my company was acquired two times over and then we became T-Mobile. So, but they, they, when I got promoted into an analyst role, instead of managing people in the call center, I didn't have to be in the call center. I could work from anywhere. And I sucked at it. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, I'll go do some laundry while I'm on it. I got my Bluetooth headset on. I'm walking around muting and I'm doing, I'm making food and I'm doing whatever. So my ability to focus was definitely challenged <laughs> back, back then. Now, granted, I was probably... Oh gosh, 25 back then. And when I got into that big corporate role. So yeah, I mean, at, at my age, I was like, man, I'm doing better than my friends out of school and I'm doing all this crazy stuff. My, half my friends are like, I don't even understand what you do. And, uh, which is funny because you probably that. get the same thing from <laughs> your friends and colleagues. They're like, what drop shipping, Amazon virtual, what, you know, <laughs> absolutely. They, they had no idea. And yeah, I mean, we kind of, we, we transitioned from remote to the office, which was actually like a, a huge culture drain. Like people, we could slowly tell that people started to hate it more and more and they had to drive to the office and some people moved to Florida and they, they missed their family. There's like a lot of elements going on there. I think personally, I mean, I never had a, a corporate job after college. I, I'm much more productive remote where I can work in shorts and a t-shirt and wake up and I usually do the, the most important thing every day and kind of have my own schedule. I mean, I even... Like when I'm taking most of my calls, unless it's a podcast where normally I have an office set up, not, not today, uh, but normally if it's not a podcast, like I won't do anything face. Not that I don't want to be on Zoom and see people's face, but I want to be outside. I want to be walking the dogs. Like I, I don't want to be just sitting in my office all day by myself. That's not my ideal day. So I've kind of made adjustments where my schedule is like, hey, I, I wake up, I, I get the most important thing done. I work out for an hour. I then take, I then do my one podcast of the day in my office. And then the rest of the day, meetings, phone calls and all that, I'm not even inside half the day. Mm, that's awesome. Well, I see that that's, that's some of the beauty of remote functionality, remote work. And I was actually you know, giving a tip to an old friend of mine from the nutritional world. And she was messaging me on Facebook messenger this morning. And she's like, Hey, my 16 year old daughter is going to launch a podcast for a school project. I'm like, that's a thing now. Like I was like, I mean, I'm like, I was like, well, I'm honored you're asking me. She's like, well, she doesn't want my help, but I know you've been podcasting a while and you know a lot. And I said, well, yeah, normally I consult on companies and help them figure it out. But I'm like, sure, I whatever I can give you. She's like, well, I can't guarantee you she wants to meet with you yet. <laughs> She's like, but if you could pass me some tips, I was like, what? Oh, okay. And um, but the biggest tip I told her was like, 
can't give you a run rock solid main tip because just like with business, as we're discussing, are you doing it in person? Are you doing it in an office? Are you going to work remote from home? Are you going to set up a co um, co-working spaces? I actually got to dabble in that when I was in Colorado. Uh, I love co-working spaces. And you get to get a lot of mind melding. Next thing you know, you're talking to other entrepreneurs, bouncing ideas off each other. But I told her in the podcasting thing, I'm like, okay, is she going to do this in person? Does she need a physical mic? Can she, is she going to walk around while podcasting? Is like a health and fitness thing. If that's the case, I would recommend a special Bluetooth noise-canceling dynamic mic that you can get with your iPhone. And I started sending this to her. She's like, okay, you're already way over my head. <laughs> She's like, let me talk to my daughter and then see if I can set up a call with you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, that's the beauty. This is 2020. We have so much technology available. So the internet compared to 20 years ago, as far as bandwidth capacities and everything else, like, Dude, I pay $45 a month right now. I have a 250 megabits per second download with a 15 megabits per second upload. And I was like, like they, that, that's their current promotion because they just they renew it every year with my uh, my cable modem company. And I was like, oh, you're dropping my costs? Like I was paying 60. Like, yeah, we'll give you the same thing, but 45. I'm like, okay, I, I don't care. It's a business expense to me anyway. <laughs> right. But I mean, I remember years ago, man, I was happy to get 50 megabits per second download so uh, a lot has changed so dude i mean it's an incredible time not just to start a podcast but start a business in general i mean i start businesses with five thousand dollars or less but i mean the fact is like you even said like sometimes you don't even need that much you no. need a computer you need some internet and and then that's it you get to work whether it's drop shipping starting agency coaching consulting freelancing doing a marketplace like, like I did, like there's so many different businesses that can be run remote with less over, with not much overhead and not every business is for everyone. But the cool thing is it doesn't take you very long to figure out if it's success or failure. You do something for a few months, worst case scenario, you lose a few hundred, maybe a few thousand dollars and you realize, Hey, it's not for you, right. but you probably learned something that you can apply to your next business. And maybe then you figure it out. Well, let me pause you on that. There's no probably you always learn something. I tell people all the time, I think the biggest reason why so many people take so long to get into entrepreneurship, and I'll be guilty of it too, is there's a fear factor. And this goes into my, my lifestyle being an adrenaline junkie sports guy, right? Like I have no problem jumping out of a perfectly good airplane and uh, you know all, all kinds of crazy, like I'll race skiing down a mountain, haul ass, like I'm crazy. But most people tell me that. But <laughs> the point is, is like uh, over the years, as you experience these things over and over again, you numb that effect. You get better at doing it. You get the challenge becomes now what can I do next versus, oh, all I got to do is maybe try it. So that's what I'm getting at. There's no probably. If you fail, it's not a failure. It's a growth opportunity. So, okay, what did I learn from that? What didn't work? What does work? And what can I carry into the next project or the next company or the next startup or whatever it may be? And that's what I hear from you. The beauty is if you're doing it for $5,000 or less, dude, that is so doable. Um, I, I literally was talking to my buddy and his girlfriend last night. She used to manage a, a salon for somebody and just got tired and tired of it. And the owner was just completely absentee. And her her boyfriend is literally a, like a high-end, like shears, like the scissors that you cut the hair. Like you could spend like $1,000 on a pair of scissors. Did you know that? Like, I'm like, what? That's nuts. <laughs> right. Well, like these are fancy scissors or shears. I'm sorry. You don't call them scissors. They're shears. Anyway, I was like, okay, so your own boyfriend is a professional dealer of this stuff, like to other entrepreneurs. You already know how to manage a salon and you hate doing it. Start your own. So she did. And, uh, but the big, see, 
I always try and share the, you said it earlier, overhead, right? So I was like, in a salon, I get it. You probably do have to bring in like product and stuff like that if you so choose to sell product. I said, that was your choice. You could have just opened your salon and just sold your services, right? You chose to bring in a retail element and then rack up your credit card and buy all this inventory and all this stuff. And then you're paying a lease with physical overhead and everything else. Whereas my wife's uh, stylist, she runs her business out of her home. So she has people come, they have a fully finished basement. And so a whole separate level, separate entrance at a really nice house, but okay, there's no interaction. She, it, she's got a dedicated floor. There's no additional overhead. So there's definitely different ways of modeling your business. Do you want to take on a lot of overhead? Do you not? Do you want to pay for brick and mortar? I never want brick and mortar. All of my stuff is virtual and online. That's one, that's one less expense I got to worry about. I'd rather invest that into high quality internet or as we were joking around, lighting, better webcam, right? Soundboard for the podcast, all that type of stuff because it's all going to benefit everything else I'm doing. I got to tell people all the time, like, you spent $600 on a new mixer board? I said, yeah, but it's not just for the podcast. All the webinar trainings I do, all the virtual conferences, all the sound gear benefits everything else I'm doing. Yes, I bought it originally for the podcast because I take pride in my audio, but now it benefits all the other stuff that I'm doing. <laughs> so, I mean, how so do you guys explain that to people with the whole... Because, I mean, you probably are working a lot with companies who are trying to figure out the outsourcing component, but then they have to understand, even though you're outsourcing stuff, you still have to have a certain level of technology as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I mean, with FreeUp, the, the last company, which was a marketplace for VAs and freelancers, you get some people who are like the remote setup, they hire VAs, and you get other people who are very resistant to it, but they've heard about VAs, they, they understand the benefits of it, but they don't understand how you could possibly um, build a team remote and have the same culture or get the most out of them, whatever it is. And and what I've kind of seen with, with COVID is now all those same companies are are forced to do it remote. Mm -hmm. And they all went through that same period that we talked about that my fiance went through and a lot of people went through where it's uncomfortable at first and you're figuring out how do I do it? How do I manage my time? Whatever. And and now that they see it as this, ne this necessity and they see that it can be done, that's kind of where outsource school comes into play because we can then take our 10 years of experience and help implement that into your business very quickly so that you're able to hire rock stars quickly, reduce turnover, get the most out of people, hire for very specific roles, whether it's customer service or sales or lead generation or podcast outreach, whatever it is, none of which needs to be in person. So it's almost more of that mindset shift, if anything, that, that 2020 um, has provided. And I'll kind of tell you a quick story of the first time that, that it opened my mind for remote Back when I was doing textbooks, I was kind of figuring out, like, how do I make money on Amazon? What's the play here? And I'd ordered this Mother's Day card. Uh, it was a poem. And I ordered it on Amazon for my mom for Mother's Day. How long ago, and they by emailed way, is this? The, uh, this like early Amazon days? Or like, you know, yeah, 2008, 2009. Okay, early a little Amazon bit before days, that, yeah. 2007. Um, I, st I really started my Amazon business in 2009. So it was like slightly before that. And yeah. they emailed me and they said, hey, we, we live in East Longmeadow. I was in East Longmeadow. Like, can I come pick it up? And they let me into their house and I got to see their entire operation. Now, this entire operation, which was a pretty big Amazon seller, was four adults sitting in a room with a printer, printing out these poems, packaging them every day. And that was it. And they were making thousands of dollars every day huh. just selling these poems on Amazon out of their living room. So and that their was overhead kind of a, was printer ink and, pr and paper? 
Printer and a paper. They, yeah. they had, I think they might have trademarked their poems at, at some point, something along those smart. lines. That's smart, actually. That's a very smart, actually. Yeah. Don't, don't skip over the trademark goal there, ladies and gentlemen. If you've you got a unique line, <laughs> quote, et cetera, protect that stuff. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's pretty it's wild. Very, very cool business model. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny because I literally in the past month, I, I, I was you know, going for a walk with our dog and I talked to my one neighbor and she, she works, she's an editor for bicycling magazine and I'm a huge cyclist. And so I only found that out about a year ago. So I was like, Oh my God, like we're in the industry. Like I'm an athlete and you, you actually write this stuff. But the cool thing about COVID is she writes articles about new bikes and her current project is all the e-bike industry. Well, because the offices are closed because of COVID, they just drop shit. All the manufacturers just drop shipping the bikes right to their house. So their whole mm-hmm. garage is full of all the latest e-bike technology. <laughs> and I was like, what are you going to do with all these? She's like, I don't know. You want to ride them? It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. So like, so they, 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 that industry already found a way around it. Okay. You want, we want people to still write about it. So we better get them the bike. Hopefully they got a place to securely store it or not. I, I, I don't know how they thought about that one, uh, but her husband, I, was, I never knew what he did because I always thought he was a landscaper because he's got a whole landscaping business. And he's got his truck sitting outside, and but I hadn't seen him move in weeks. And she's like, well, that's his other business. I'm like, well, I was like, what is he doing now? She's like, oh, his eBay office is upstairs. I'm like, eBay? He does eBay? She's like, oh, yeah, he's a huge nut about antiques. He does more money on eBay. I'm like, eBay is still a thing? <laughs> but I was like, okay, he, he's... He has a whole antique eBay store thing business. I was like, all right. And then my wife, she's a, a equine horse vet doctor. So they actually need to have a physical office to store the drugs legally with the ATF and everything else. But technically, they're mobile ambulatory. Everything they need, all three doctors, is in the back of their SUVs. And they drive right to the farm. So they, really, the office is for their office manager and storage. That's it. You, they, don't, they don't have horses come to the office. <laughs> So, but she's like, oh, we just had a new tenant move in next door. I was like, what are they doing? She's like, dropship packaging, eBay, and Amazon business. I was like, oh, my God. It's, I was like, okay, there's, people are definitely still doing that business model. So that's funny how that's part of your roots, though. And that's still a yeah. thing. People are still doing a lot of it. So One quick creative thing. Uh, this happened somewhat recently. But my, my gym, who I know the owners, they're awesome. And they're obviously hit hard by COVID. Not oh, the best yeah. time to, to be I, a I gym right now. I know a right lot now. of gym owners. It's very frustrating. Absolutely. But they're doing a great job with live streaming. They do. I'm a workout junkie. I do like, intense workout every day. And their live streams are awesome. They have a bunch of people together. It's fun. It's high energy. And I, it's all I've been doing to work out since COVID started. So it's kind of the, the forced pivot that they had to do. But very smart. I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I know a lot of gym owners around here. I was very big into the CrossFit space. I literally built my own little CrossFit gym in my garage, so I've been fine. But the friend, my closest friends who own the facilities in two different cities right here, I was like, listen, you got to go virtual. Like, if your gym gets shut down, make sure you're – I was like, don't you don't need to go buy a webcam. Just I gave them both tripods. I said, here. I was like, as a friend, because I work out with you guys and you don't charge me, I'm like, here, take some tripods figure it out. And the one guy did great with it. He, he already had a YouTube channel activated and branded properly. So he just started posting daily workout videos. And then luckily, because they didn't know what was going to happen with COVID, he picked out some of his top athletes in the gym 
and then recorded them doing specific workouts. So then he could already have pre-recorded content and say, hey guys, here's the workout for next week. And he had already recorded it weeks ago. So there's people who embrace it faster than others. And that's kind of where I want to go with this is then there's the other friend who never got a workout video off at all. Apparently she was doing secret Zoom calls, but never publicly putting it out there. And I said, how are you supposed to keep your business alive? If the general public doesn't know that you're streaming workouts, like he actually gained a business while he was shut down. She didn't gain any business because all she was doing was taking care of the current membership base. And I said, well, if you would have put those videos up online and at least tried to advertise that, then at least people know you were open, you were still getting it on, even if it's virtual. And that's a great example of one person who just grabs a bull by the horns and goes for it. And then the other person who just chooses to limp along and maybe the gym survives, maybe it doesn't. So, right. um, I mean, does that, does that frustrate you sometimes? It's just the people who embrace it awesome make, makes you feel good. And the other ones are like, Oh my God, like you just want to, your head's like being bounced off a wall. <laughs> it's funny. I, I always kind of consider myself like a, a risk adverse entrepreneur, which, which sounds very weird because as an entrepreneur, you're, you're trying to take a lot of risks or at least people think that. But I mean, if you think of that, the Amazon business, I, I was drop shipping. So, I mean, worst case scenario, I'm out a few hundred dollars of product or, or something like that. And I mean, I'm in college anyway, so I kind of have a backup plan. If all things fail, I can Goodbye. go out and get a job. And then even with free up, and there was some trial and error before that, again, didn't really cost me that much money. Like with free up, there's no overhead. I'm paying virtual assistants that are very affordable. And we have a software platform that everything's on. Like what, what's worst possible scenario there? And same thing with Outsource School. It's an education platform um, where, again, VAs are running it. There's no overhead. Like the, there's, there's always going to be some element of risk. But like, let's say something breaks and you have to hire a high-end consultant or someone and you get a $5,000 expense or a $10,000 expense. You're just able to handle that a lot better if you're running a gym or a brick and mortar store and your plumbing bursts and it's a huge expense to fix it or you're out, you can't work in there for a month. Like, how do you get over that? The, the risk is incredibly high. So for me, there's a certain element of working remote and hiring VAs and learning, having good systems and process and owning your systems that, that just protects you from a lot of the risk that other businesses have. I like the whole risk adverse entrepreneur thing because we all know that entrepreneurship has, it's, it's built around risk. I mean, it's a lot of it is trial and error. Um, it's like, it's like when I grow a beard, I know that's trial and error. I know I can grow a beard, but I know that now that I'm married, it's not going to make her happy. So <laughs> I'm just pointing that out. Cause like I'm rocking the beard this month and I'm letting it grow out for no shave November, you know, for, for men's cancer awareness. And my wife hates it. And I was like, you're lucky you didn't know me when I left the corporate world. And I showed her the old photos of my mountain man beard when I was fighting wildfires out West. And I was like, yeah, I was like, she's like, yeah, you're not bringing that back. But I was like, anyway, so there's, there's risks that I'm taking in my own relationship. I was like, well, baby, I'm working from home and my clients don't care. They actually get a kick out of it. And she just said, okay, stop trying to justify it. She said, you're just making it worse. Um, but the, the risk adverse piece. So you, you learned a lot of this from the Amazon business, but obviously it sounds like free up was really the big, I guess, educational process, right? And success story too, right? So are you guys even running that anymore or that's what you guys sold? Uh, yeah, so we sold over $25 million on Amazon, but right. we never sold it. We didn't really have anything to sell. We didn't have a brand. Okay. And Amazon changed their algorithm. So you're kind of just kind of going in circles, helping Amazon. Can I pause There's on There's nothing that? to sell there. Because I, I um, And that got old very, very I got to pause quickly. on that. You said you didn't really have a brand to sell. 
So that's, this is the, yeah. thank you because this is what I do. I help people grow brands. So like I love you pointing that out. It's like people are like, oh, I, I I made all this money, but I had nothing to sell. And I always want to remind people about that. We were, we mentioned trademarking and all this stuff earlier. Like that's why it's so important. Like if a company's going to look at acquiring you, I mean, you can answer this question then. If a, if a company's going to look at acquiring something you've built, but eventually if it's an acquisition, they're not going to want you forever, right? So they got to be acquiring a package, uh, something that's pretty well put together that they know that maybe not perfect turnkey, but they know that, okay, we can we can migrate that. I mean, what are some examples you know for a fact? Like, man, if I would have done this, this, and this, I would have had something to sell. Yeah, I mean, Amazon was a funny situation because it's tough for me to call it a failure because we made a good amount of money. We learned a lot of sure. our first entrepreneurial adventures, a baby, but obviously if I could do it over again, I would do it differently. At some point, instead of drop shipping other people's baby products and, and toys and, and stuff that they were selling, we would have come out with our own brand. We would have done more private label. We would have gotten off Amazon. We would have created a Shopify store. Like nice. there, there's yeah. a lot of different ways we, we could have gone out to build our own brand and build something more sustainable. Um, but we also didn't love the, the B2C space just personally. So when we started free up, we had our own website, we had our own brand free up your time was our whole thing. Um, we had, we partnered with different people who were promoting us. We learned SEO. We went on podcast to promote free up and promote our brand and even my personal Screen brand share that. Uh, a, a little bit. Um, so yeah, we were acquired. So this actually is not my website uh, format. Uh, no, this is this the, the, the new, new one, people. right? Because you said it all switched up now. So yeah, yeah. So we were freeup.com, which it still redirects there, but freeup.net is the, the new site. Um, but yeah, I mean, that built the brand that, that was actually could be acquired. Um, I mean, with freeup, you had business owners that would come back to hire virtual assistants. You had thousands of VAs applying to get on the platform. You had the free up brand all over different blogs and podcasts and people referring us, them to us. So we actually had something that, that someone wanted to acquire. And when the whole thing came about, and that's a whole nother story, but they were one of our clients that actually reached out to us who wanted to get into the space, who had bought other companies before. And, mm. and that's kind of what led us down the path of, of an acquisition. Okay. And then obviously, so when did Outsource School get really kicked off then? Was it after that? Because you had more time to work on it? Or were you guys already kind yes. of, you guys were already wrenching on it? We weren't really wrenching on it. We sold free up in November of last year. We launched Outsource School in March of this year. So once we okay. got through the holidays and uh, celebratory time and stuff like that, we hit the ground running with Outsource School. So what So what inspired Outsource School then? I mean, obviously, I, I clearly could tell you learned a lot from free up. So, but I mean, was it just like, oh my God, I realized that a lot of people don't understand virtual assistants or what? I mean, what was the trigger on that? So once we sold free up, the, the first conversation between Connor, my business partner, and I was, hey, are we sick of each other? Do we want to keep working <laughs> together? Um, and luckily, he wasn't sick of me, and I wasn't sick of him. So that was kind of step one. And from there, it was, hey, like, what do we want to do next? And we started reading books and listening to podcasts about real estate, about inquiring businesses, about starting education, we had, like all these different things. And people started reaching out to us and asking us if we could teach them our systems, our processes. And, and to be honest, we, we really have no interest and had no interest in like one-on-one -on -one coaching, one-on-one -on -one consulting, anything that requires like our time. We just don't see that as a scalable business that, that we want to be a part of or, or something that interests us. So we put together this training called Cracking the VA Code, which taught people our exact process for interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. And 
we could, we spent uh, uh, 60 days working on it. We took it to market. We actually took it to market the week that COVID launched, which is just terrible timing. And we didn't know. Yeah, it, you couldn't have planned would, that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't have planned that. Um, and we didn't know if people would like it or hated it. And if people hated it, we were just going to refund everyone and go move on to, to something else. But luckily people really liked it and they wanted more how to use VAs for specific things, how to uh, hire team leaders. And so we started building out these different trainings and turned it into a membership where members get access to all our systems, all our process, all our cheat sheets, all our trainings that we just continue to add to. And it's kind of come along over time. That's pretty cool. I mean, it looks like you're working on a lot of new courses too here. looks like a bookkeeping VA, uh, team leader playbook. You've already got a lot of courses in place. I like influencer playbook. I like that. I've been actually reaching out to a few influencers on, a, on another client project I'm working on now. So it's, a, and, yeah, I, and all you're right. this is done. Go ahead. What? Go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to say, all this is done with virtual assistants, either doing 90 to 100% of the work. Like we have the podcast outreach formula. I've been on 400 podcasts. I have a VA that does podcast research for me and sends me a list of podcasts every day and has certain requirements that they're looking for. And this teaches you that exact process to, to put into your business. So what do you, uh, if you don't mind me asking, because I've had multiple podcast outsourcing agencies, if you want to call them that, on the show. And a lot of them use uh, like Philippines apparently is like the money pot of because their English is better than India. Uh, they really appreciate the wages. They really work hard. The one guy I had was uh, his company. He found, oh God, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he, he's founded, he's from Utah. And he said his first VA they ever hired full time, he was paying 500 bucks a month. Like, and they, and the guy appreciated the wage so much, busted his butt. He, he started teaching himself stuff just to keep him busy because you know, the, the guy who, the guy who hired him couldn't even keep him busy enough. So he like, the guy taught himself code and started working on the website. And he's like, dude, he's like, if I tried finding talent like that here in the U S it would blow my mind. It would take me forever. And he said, he's like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a, I'm a made in the USA company. And he's like, nowadays I have people employed here in the States. He said, but sometimes when you're just getting your company off the ground, you just can't argue the budgetary value of spending five, 600 bucks a month for somebody full time. So is that somewhere around where you see it pretty common in the market? Yeah, we usually say five to 10 bucks an hour. It could be less, could be more, just depends on the VA and all of that. But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, here's what you don't want to do if you're hiring a virtual assistant. You don't want to hire like two people from the Philippines, two people from South Africa, two people from India. You're just adding a lot of extra work to your plate. They are yeah. going to have culture differences, time zone differences, trying to get them to work together. You can do it, but it's not what I would recommend doing to start. And if you're going to pick one place, which I recommend doing, um, starting with the Philippines is great. We have a, if people sign up for the free trial of outdoor school, we have a, a video called hiring from the Philippines 101. And it mm. goes over uh, how they learn English in school, what the minimum wage in the Philippines is and how it's very easy to beat that. How they're all about family, which is great for reducing turnover. They're used to working U.S. hours. I can go on and on. And I also don't want to give people the impression that you don't have to treat people well. Like my goal, and this is what I tell people at Outdoor School all the time, I want to be my VA's favorite client yeah. at all times. Part of that's money. And I want them to make sure that they feel like they're paid well and they're happy with their rate. And we'll do things like, like when we sold free up, we took $500,000 from the sale and gave it to our internal team in the Philippines and made sure their jobs secure and their bonus and raise programs are in place. So you can still treat people very well. Nice. Um, but there, there's other parts of that, creating a family inside your team, building a relationship with them, getting them to buy into your company, and even finding the small things 
that don't matter to you in any way, but are extremely important to them. Like I had a VA at FreeUp who she needed two hours every day to just take care of her kids, drop her kid off at school, whatever she was doing. And it was like right in the middle of the workday. Like at the end of the day, do I really care if she takes a two hour lunch and just makes up the hour at the end of the day? No. Absolutely not. But none of her other clients were willing to make that, that small change. So figuring out what to do to become your VA's favorite client is incredibly important. I like that. That was fit. See, that's, that's a funny thing. In the traditional, oh, pardon the terminology, the traditional U.S. market business day, because I used to manage and hire people and everything too, in the call center world, if I would let one of my employees take a two-hour break in the middle of the day, the company would never allow it. Even if I tried justifying it on her behalf, because I literally had, I had an employee had that exact challenge. And um, in order for her to control her schedule, she had to make sure her statistics and her performance was always off the charts because I was one of the best coaches in the company. So I always got to pick whatever shift I worked as, and I managed a team back then. So I say, listen, guys, if you like keeping me as a coach and you like this shift, keep kicking ass so I can keep you on the team. If not, you might end up on somebody else's team because this is a 24-hour facility. So there's first shift, second shift, third shift, et cetera. And then for some people, maybe you don't want to work my shift. Maybe your life changed and you do want to work third shift or second shift. And that's cool. You know, I wish you luck and success. But being able to be flexible like that, that's huge. People forget nowadays, business has changed a lot over the years. It is about valuing your people and valuing people's lifestyles, especially now. My God, during COVID, my, my, my number one client, She's, she's trying to run two companies and now she becomes a full-time teacher. Well, well, whatever her kid's five or six. And it's like, Oh my gosh. So she doesn't, she has barely enough time to run her companies. Now all of a sudden she's got to be a, a full-time parent because she's a single mother and she has to uh, become a teacher. I don't know how she's been doing it. I was like, you're, you're like a superwoman. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Luckily, she hired a great office manager and she's taken on a lot of the workload during that transition. But it goes back to this, like what can we do to work with people, be flexible, create that value relationship. And it's funny cause you said, you know, you really want to make sure they appreciate you as a client. And I don't see that very often. I think that's very, very smart because people forget it's a two way relationship. You know, I want to like working for you. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, turnover crushes small businesses. And if you're investing time, energy, money to someone and you're not their favorite client and they have someone else who they like more, they like working for more, you're always at the risk that that other client's going to increase their hours, hire them exclusive, do whatever. And, and that's a risky place to be. Again, I'm a pretty risk diverse person. So Anything you can do to reduce turnover is incredibly key. And, and I come from someone who had really high turnover. I mean, I, I've never had a, a real job after college. Before college, when I was an intern at Firestone, I had a manager who stressed everyone out. He was the king of micromanaging. Oh. Everyone hated working for him. But when I became a, a, a manager, an entrepreneur, I hired people for the first time. That was the only managerial style I knew. So I kind of reverted to that. And Ouch. Well, I had yeah. a lot of turnover. People hated working for me. It was very stressful. And, and it took a while to get myself out of the mentality and realizing that if you have that turnover, your business just keeps going in circles, no matter how good you are as an entrepreneur, no matter how good your business idea is, no matter how well you read the market. Like if you can't hire people and retain them, nothing else really matters. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's, uh, it's funny because actually we'll, we'll stay on that past career with T-Mobile, for example. You know, we, we got tasked with the corporation to... Because we had, uh, 
I forget the exact math. I think eight or 11 call centers in the, in, in the continental U.S. were ours, completely owned, T-Mobile branded, all magenta pink and all that stuff. But then we had another at least six outsourced call centers that we outsourced to. These were third-party companies, but the contract ensured that that facility became a T-Mobile facility. So when I, I started when I got promoted into that corporate role as an analyst, I would actually travel to the outsourcers and train them and make sure that they're following the same guidelines and protocols that we traditionally did internally as direct T-Mobile employees. So the company was always trying to help that company stay as cohesive as possible. And that came down to also the managerial styles, the coaching and development, the training, everything else. And one of the biggest things I learned from that was like our new hire training for a call center rep was seven weeks, seven weeks of paid with benefits training. So imagine if that person doesn't graduate training. That's a right. big financial loss. Let's say that person doesn't make it past 90 days of employment, or let alone six months of employment. So at one point, they actually got rid of our managerial titles and then retrained all the management into a coaching and development mindset, which was a huge win. Very smart, very innovative back then. This is probably back in 2004, 2005. And it shifted everything because we had attrition rates of like 9 to 11% on new hire training. You're losing probably millions, I, I don't even know, because the amount of cost going into every single employee. So I completely reinforce what you're saying. And that attrition concern also falls directly into sales and marketing. It's like, guys, like, if you already have a customer, wouldn't you try to keep said customer? They've already been sold on you. You've already started building the relationship. So wouldn't you try and work a little bit harder to keep them? As long as that relationship is cohesive, like keep them. It's easier to resell and grow an existing customer than go out and acquire a whole new customer and retrain them all over again on all you stand for as a company, a brand, et cetera. So... Um, now, is that some stuff that you have it planned for the outsource school as well, some of that marketing education? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's in there. Um, I mean, we in Cracking the VA Code, we go through interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. A lot of the reducing turnover stuff comes down into the, the management part, although there's parts of it in interviewing and onboarding. Um, and in terms of marketing, I mean, we have lead generation. Uh, we have influencer outreach. We have podcast outreach. I mean, these are things that we really use to scale free up to eight figures and sell it without spending a lot of money on Facebook ads. The issue about making all these like VA playbooks on social media or even Facebook ads is they just change all the time. Mm -hmm. They just become outdated very, very quickly. So we, we are adding stuff. We have a community SOP library that our members get access to. And we'll, we'll kind of rely on experts to contribute those SOPs um, and kind of keep them updated rather than, than us going out. And, and I'm not sure I'm the best let's say Facebook ad expert in the world or something to, to create those SOPs for, for VAs. Yeah. When you're referring to SOPs, you're referring to standard operating procedures. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we provide trainings that, that show people how to hire VAs and, and provide cheat sheets on to help people quickly create SOPs. And, and they have a, uh, we have a software called Simply SOP that people can get separately or it's included in outsource school and you can quickly create the SOPs. Um, for example, we have an inbox management playbook and, That'll show you how to hire the, a really great VA for your inbox. And it also has a cheat sheet that you just fill out that helps you break down the types of emails you get with clear directions for the VA. So we can't just create that SOP for you since your inbox is different sure. than ours, but our cheat sheet makes it very easy to plug that into your business. Well, what I'm hearing there is your SOP is you're basically documenting 
very clear and concise guidelines for that person to follow. And that way, God forbid that that person maybe doesn't stay on and you do have an attrition issue and a turnover, the next person is going to have to then be retrained completely on that again. And you'll probably have to tweak it more and modify it and grow it. But the whole point here is that, yeah, you have, in order to have consistency, people forget that. It's like, when I first started trying to play around with VAs, I was like, oh man, I got to get my processes documented. I was like, I don't, I, I want them to be me. But if we're in different time zones, I can't provide them live training over Zoom. I got to get this stuff pre-recorded. Maybe it's video, maybe it's a documented Word document, something like that, and start getting all that stuff integrated. Because that was my biggest goal with the podcast. After four years of podcasting, I'm like, I don't need to write my own blog notes. I don't need to write the timestamp stuff. I probably don't even need to do half the editing. I was like, I can hand all this stuff off. So especially since I don't make money per se off the podcast, I never monetized it. Everybody's all about monetizing a podcast. I was like, uh, no, I've granted I've landed clients thanks to the brand recognition from the podcast, but I've never purposely taken on sponsorship or anything else. So it is important that the podcast does not fall below a certain quality. And I have to make sure that's consistent. So I, I had to learn that the hard way too. It's like, man, I got to get this stuff documented because I just do everything robotically for years and I improve my own processes, but I never actually put them all in place. So, um, and so if I'm, you want to sell a business, you have to do that. Like if the Hoth, the, who, the company that acquired us, they came to us and they say, hey, how does customer service work? Or how does billing work? And we say, oh, don't worry about it. It's in my head. Or don't worry about yeah. it. Jane in customer service knows how it's done. Like, they're not buying that business. We turned over 50 page SOPs for each team. This is before we built our software um, that showed who does what, when every single situation, days of the week, broken down by task, every single possible issue that could come up. And we actually put our VAs in charge of owning those SOPs and updating them over time. So when we had 35 VAs and seven different teams and team leaders on each team, Connor, my business partner and I, we didn't have to go in and update every single SOP. They were being updated consistently without us asking. And that's eventually the, the stage that you want to get to. And that's where we try to help people get to at outsource school. Nice. Well, and I like that because you just went full circle back to that earlier question was like one of the reasons why you weren't able to sell the Amazon packaging drop shipping businesses because, well, what was there to buy, right? The Amazon algorithm could change tomorrow. So that's one thing. But if you had maybe built a cool branding and a cool documentation process around how you crushed it on Amazon. Well, now I got something to buy, right? I'm going to buy your protocol or your SOPs for how you ran your Amazon business because it's no longer in your head. You documented it. So that could have been something possibly that you could have sold, right? Uh, so I love that point because that's the whole point is that I, I, I used to work for an IT company too. My buddy founded it. Very successful. He sold this thing two times over. Millions, made millions, and he's, I don't even know if he's even working anymore. He just, I don't know. <laughs> I think he finally had a kid. I, I just see him on Instagram posting. I don't think he actually works. He's, he made a lot of money. But the point is that every time it got bought and then, and then it got flipped again, it was actually an investment company change out, right? One investment company bought it just to fulfill uh, that portfolio. And then after three years, they decided, okay, we're getting rid of that portfolio. So they sold it off to another investment company. But the first time, they kept him on as CEO because he had built such a successful company. The second time, the investment company's like, well, listen, we're going to keep you on for one year just to make sure that it is done, but we don't want you. The whole point here is we're buying a, a company ready to rock. And now that company is still owned by that company, and 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 he's he's out he's out the door because they were buying a company, not him. <laughs> it's like, we want your processes. We want your procedures. We want your technology. We want your personnel. 
that's what they want. So, um, 100%. Yeah, he's great points. I don't think he uses any VAs, so I think he's missing out. So, <laughs> well, so, I mean, we're coming towards the end of the show time slot. So, is there, obviously, you've learned a lot from the freeup.com, and now Outsource School is crushing it. So, would you say, is there a top three things that somebody should at least think about, write down, type out, dial in before even approaching a solution like Outsource School? That way, if they do go to the site, you know, after listening to this podcast today, and they're, they're considering taking action, they've at least thought about these couple of things before they even click on a link because that's going to help them have more of a successful introduction to your to what you guys do. Yeah, so VAs can't build your business for you, right? You have to come up with a business idea. You have to prove that the market actually wants it. And that's kind of step one. Step two is figuring out what your actually what your actual hiring budget is. You can do the math yourself. If people want to go to outsourceschool.com/va calculator, we have a cool uh, calculator that you can plug in information in your business, and it shows you uh, how many VAs you can actually afford. Um, and, and then from there, it's really figuring out making a list of all the tasks that you actually do on a day to day basis. When you wake up to the time you stop working, what tasks do you actually do? And and that's kind of the, the starting point. And we walk through, we walk you through a little bit of that in the beginning of outsource school, but that's a good place to start. That's pretty cool. I like the VA calculator. I've actually, I've actually looked at multiple VA services and no one ever gave me a calculator <laughs> because I, I was about, when I first started poking around, I was like, okay, do I just hire the person full time? So that way I know I'm not being shared and I should budget at least $500 a month or not. Because the one guy I had on my show, he did say, he's like, you're better off just getting a dedicated person. It's just, then you're not worrying about, are they robbing your time to pay the other guy and yada, yada, yada. I mean, I don't know if you agree with that or not. I mean, it just seems to make sense for me. Yeah. I mean, that's always the best case scenario. There are times where you, excuse me, you don't need it. Like podcast outreach. I go on a lot of podcasts. I don't need someone 40 hours a week doing podcast pitching. I I don't have enough time to go on that many podcasts, but anytime it's a a real role in your company, something very important like customer service or sales, the default should always be full time. Now Mm -hmm. I always say that uh, with hesitation because if you're someone listening and you can't afford someone full time, you should absolutely hire someone part time and eventually make them full time, hire another person, whatever it is. But if you can afford it, the default should always be full time for all the reasons you just said. Well, I like it. I mean, I like the idea of using a VA for podcast outreach too, because I will admit, I'd say probably about at least three, sometimes four, depending on how busy they are. There's three to four different companies nowadays sending me podcast leads. So and I don't know if they hire their own VAs or not, but I call them podcast agencies because like, hey, so this check out our latest client. Here's their one sheet all their info, their bio, blah, blah, blah. Would you like to consider bringing them up? And and I've had the founder of two of those companies on my show and, and it looks like a great service model. And I've actually, they've actually sent me some really great people. If I go back over four years ago, man, I tracked down every single person myself. I was like, man, I like this, I like this guy's or girl's uh, social media feeds. I like the content they're putting out there. I'm going to reach out and see if they want to come on the show. I haven't had to do that in years and it's great. <laughs> so, but this is a great idea of having a podcast outreach because I'm uh, in the final stages of finishing my first book. And I'm like, you know, even though I'm a podcaster, I know a lot of podcasters and I've spoken at podcast conferences. Maybe I do put somebody on that just for the book launch phase. And then if they do, if they kick ass on getting my outreach done, maybe I bring them on full time 
and, and on my team to do even more work after that, because obviously I'm definitely going to be going on podcasts to help promote the book launch. That's just a no brainer. So right. um, that's, it's really interesting ways you guys go going about this stuff. So what is your goal by the end of, uh, going into 2021? I mean, I, I saw you had some more trainings coming. So are you getting those rolled out before the end of the year or is that some stuff for first quarter? Yeah. So we released one new training every single month. We have the team leader playbook coming out uh, next month. I actually saw we need to update the site. The bookkeeping formula is out. After that, customer service. After that, hiring sales VAs and then hiring client onboarding VAs. So those are the next ones um, in line. We're also focusing on our software, Simply SOP. We kind of spent uh, the first eh, the past six months working on that, getting it out there. We, a lot of our members are using it. Um, that's going to be its own company. We'll be promoting that and, and getting feedback and making software improvements there. So uh, yeah, those are kind of the main goals. To so would you say here. the core model, if you don't mind me putting it this way, but the core financial model of this business model is that you obviously want to be a member because then you get access to all the trainings. But I mean, because actually the membership model has proven to be very, very successful for the right companies and the right businesses. It's like, well, if you want ongoing new content coming out all the time and maybe there's, maybe there's a, is there a built-in mastermind too, where they can connect with other members and stuff like that? I, I, I meant to throw that out there too. Yeah. We, we don't do masterminds, but we have accountability calls. We do live coaching calls in, in the group. We have that community SOP library. Uh, nice. We, we can share everything that we do at outsource school. So we build companies with VAs. So people get to actually see us build a company with VAs while they're taking our trainings on how to do it. So oh, cool. there's a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff like that. Digging it, man. I mean, I was already looking at you before, but I'm going to definitely be digging in you more. I might be uh, partaking in some of the stuff uh, very soon, but so we're, we're at the end of our slot and I always ask my guest co-hosts and you've been awesome today. And again, congrats on the move to Colorado, Colorado. I call it the transient state because it's very hard to find a true native, meaning someone who was born in Colorado because everybody like me and you were like, man, I love this state. It's so outdoorsy. I'm just going to move here. <laughs> so, um, but I, that's where my, my little hint there is I love talking about lifestyle and clearly all the stuff we've shared today can really open people's eyes and ears to the lifestyle freedom potentials if you put the right systems in place and you get the right resources lined out. Uh, but one thing I ask my guest co-hosts is when we close out the show is, is there an all-encompassing message behind what you're doing now moving forward? Maybe it's teaching, maybe it's you know bringing freedom to more entrepreneurs. I don't know. But like back in the day, I used to say, hey, what are some final words you want to close out the show? Nowadays, I say, you know what? all-encompassing message. Maybe it's a legacy message for what you've learned from all the years in business, but what would you like to leave behind for the people listening to the show if they forgot everything else we shared today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, life's too short to do stuff that you don't want to do. I'm, I'm all about flexibility, freedom, doing whatever you want, whenever you want within reason. But um, I mean, if you don't have that flexibility and you're an entrepreneur, chances are it comes down to your systems, your processes, your teams. And if everything we talked about sounds a little bit overwhelming, start off with just getting five hours a week back. You'll be amazed at just hiring a five-hour-a-week virtual assistant, what it'll do for your personal life, your relationships, your, your business life, what your focus, like stuff like that can be game changers. Like that, That's going to cost you 1300 bucks a year. You're going to get six and a half weeks back a year just by hiring a VA for five hours a week. It's going to get addicting. And my goal is to get as many people as possible into that flexibility, freedom, lifestyle that, that I'm in. And I'm very grateful for I love that, man. Well, listen, hang tight. I want to be proper goodbye off the air. You got a couple of minutes left? Yeah. Awesome. Well, actually, and I'll close out the show with this. What you just shared, great nugget of knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. And there's something that I've, I've thrown around for a while. I never did anything with it yet, but it might get built into a site uh, for 2021 is 
the freedom trifecta. And that is defined as time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom. And what he just shared heavily encompasses the time freedom that could create all those other freedoms. And it's a full circle effect here. It's a whole trifecta. So I love what you just shared there. So thank you, Nathan. But ladies and gentlemen, OutsourceSchool.com. That's Nathan Hirsch. The man's leaving Florida for now, heading to Colorado, probably permanently because it's awesome. And uh, I'm excited for him. So, ladies and gentlemen, remember, OutsourceSchool.com will have all the links uh, for all of his profiles socially and everything else on the show notes. So you can just easily scroll down the show notes or just go to Lithafield.com for the episode. And remember, we've already aired this live on Facebook, so feel free to go back and look at it there if you're a Facebooker. And we obviously have the video on YouTube when this show airs as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks you, thank you for tuning in. A reminder, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. Nathan helped to do this today. And uh, again, um, if we're not sharing knowledge, I don't know what's the point of being having a podcast show. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. And remember, you too can live the fuel. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com. Thank you.